0: Hi, I'm Eden, and I'm Nicole, welcome to Roadside Roadside Horror Show.
1: So, this week we are still in Connecticut. I'll be doing the true crime story, and Eden will take us through a paranormal story.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's more of a legend this week.
1: Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I like legends. It's pretty fun. All right, cool, cool.
0: Not gonna lie.
1: So, I did find a fun list of facts about Connecticut.
0: Okay, let's hear them.
1: Uh, It's illegal to walk on your hands in Hartford, Connecticut.
0: That is just bizarre.
1: I wonder, like, if you are part of a circus acrobatics group and, like, you come to do a performance, do you have to get, like, a special waiver that you will be performing illegal handstands?
0: You need, like, a permit for it or that's just weird. Okay.
1: Uh, In order for a pickle to be considered a pickle in Connecticut, it must bounce.
0: Okay, I don't want something I'm going to eat to have been bounced on any surface.
1: Well, maybe do, maybe it's just like one from every jar has to be test bounced.
0: But then how do you know the other ones are actually pickles?
1: Oh, snap.
0: Yep. I'm very confused. I'm inside your head.
1: Oh, what else about Connecticut?
0: Inside your jar of pickles, if you will.
1: <laughs> Let me out. It's so briny. <laughs> uh, oh,
0: I remember when people used to try to get me to drink pickle juice as like um, a remedy for heartburn.
1: What? Yeah. I feel like I would do the opposite. Yeah, because
0: it's extremely acidic. Yeah, but apparently it's like a different kind of acid. Oh. And I don't know. It burnt more at first, and then I guess it kind of worked, or my heartburn just went away. I don't know. But it was disgusting.
1: (laughs) You're so overwhelmed by the grossness of the pickle that you're like...
0: I don't even really like pickles very much to begin with. I love cucumbers, just don't want them pickled. The only thing that actually works for me for heartburn is um, water and baking soda. Huh. Which... Every time I have to drink it, I'm like, I'm drinking from the briny deep. Like, it is the (laughs) worst. It tastes like straight up nasty salt water that every fish has peed in.
1: I'm so curious about that. I'll have to try that.
0: Yeah, it really works. It really works. You're going to have one really hot burp after you do it. (laughs) And then you'll be good. All
1: right. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. Uh, So on that note, speaking of burps. We should dive into our story.
0: We can do that, unless you had more Connecticut facts for us.
1: Uh, the only other fact I have about Connecticut, which is kind of fun, is that the Hartford Current is the oldest continually published newspaper in America, and I feel like that was a source that popped up for both of my Connecticut stories. Huh. But, yeah. Well, I'm, like it's like the big newspaper.
0: That's yeah. interesting. Okay. So. So what do you have for us today?
1: Today I'm actually starting off where we left off last week with my paranormal story. We are still in Derby, Connecticut. Okay. So specifically last week, uh, I talked about the Sterling Opera House. I don't even remember last week. <laughs> but no, yes, the <laughs> Opera House. Now I do. So the Opera House, uh, the lower levels were used as the city hall and police station in Derby. One of the articles I read mentioned that the police station included the town jail. And during my research, I came across an article that mentioned the jail had housed a lady by the name of Lydia Sherman, also known as the Poison Fiend.
0: So basically you found your true crime story by doing your paranormal story.
1: Yes. yes that is
0: awesome when that happens. hmm
1: so naturally, with a name like the Poison Fiend, I had to like research oh, a little deeper. Oh, of course,
0: you do love your poisons.
1: I do, and I realize like poisoner ladies are like kind of my sweet spot. I just find them fascinating. Which
0: it's funny too, because they always say that poison is a woman's weapon. Mhm, mhm. So
1: yeah. it's a woman's tool. It's in, it's in, you know right next to the knitting needles and the it's
0: women and eunuchs
1: apparently. Women and eunuchs, look <laughs> out!
0: Especially if you watch Game of Thrones,
1: or read anything about you know medieval China. That's true. Anyway. So, it's another poisoner story, like my Delaware story about Cordelia Botkin.
0: That's exactly what I thought of. I was yes. just like, chocolates.
1: Chocolates. So, I wanted to see if Miss Sherman can hold a candle to Miss Cordy.
0: All right. So, and burn her face off, hopefully.
1: Woo! Vicious cat. <laughs> so, let me tell you about Lydia Sherman, aka the poison fiend, aka the arch murderess of Derby, aka the Derby poisoner. How many names
0: does this woman need?
1: So many, actually. Uh, her trial was termed the, I think it was like the, the horror of the century. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, Miss I'm Lydia.
0: very interested now.
1: Miss Lydia was born, Lydia Danbury, in Burlington, New Jersey, December 24th, 1824. So she's a Christmas baby.
0: Her last name is another place in Connecticut. I, yeah, I did see that. <laughs> I'm like, that's
1: kind of funny. Um... When she was a baby, uh, she was orphaned and was sent to live with her uncle on a farm. And she stayed there until she was about 16, when she moved to New Brunswick, New Jersey to live with one of her brothers, and she began to work as a tailor. Um, she was quite pretty and charming by most accounts, very attractive lady, small, slender, kind of petite, uh, very dark chestnut hair, always described as very prim, proper, total, you know, Victorian babe, basically.
0: Okay, so what everyone everyone's Victorian dreamboat. <sighs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Uh, so after she moves to New Brunswick, the following year, Lydia met a man named Edward Strzok. And he was a local blacksmith. He was about 20 years older than she was. And they met at her Methodist church. Now, Strzok was a widower with two children already. So when he realized that Lydia was 17, very marriageable, he proposed to her. She agreed. And they got married. Okay. Soon after they got married, they ended up moving to New York City, where Lydia and Struck went on to have eight more children together
0: holy shit okay Mm -hmm. um you sure they weren't catholic
1: no methodist hmm
0: okay because that's why i always feel that my family had so many kids because they were all catholic well on my dad's side and it's just like this one's the oldest of 14 this one's the youngest of 12 like so many freaking Mm -hmm. kids
1: well also too this is like the 19th century so it's like infant mortality rates like through the roof
0: that's true so it's like we better have some backups exactly i know um my grandmother's siblings or maybe her mother's siblings i forget only four of them lived to adulthood that's crazy and there was like a lot of them
1: wow that's crazy. one of them
0: the dentist killed what yeah she had this um this tooth um that didn't want to come out like it was stuck like in like the gum like impacted Mm -hmm. or something uh the doctor took like a rusty old like nickel what and slit her um gums open
1: a knife perhaps a clean knife she died of infection Wow, that's yeah. just, that's sad and kind of unnecessarily so.
0: It was, yeah. I I, I have such a weird family history. <laughs> you do, but I
1: love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of children mortality, as I was doing my research, it turns out that Lydia and Struck were actually pretty lucky. Only one of their children died um, at a young age, so. Well, that's
0: good. I mean, not yeah. that the kid died, but that only one of them died.
1: Yes, only one of them died. They're very lucky. Now, in order to support this growing family of kids... Strzok took a job with the newly formed New York Metropolitan Police Force, um, which was kind of a big career shift for him because he used to be a blacksmith. He worked on carriages and things like that when they moved to New York. However, a botched police call placed the Struck family into turmoil shortly afterwards. Ooh. So, according to MurderByGaslight.com, which is a great blog. Hey, yeah, I used yeah, that for you one find of that? mine. It's yeah. a great blog by Robert Wilhelm. Um, it's all about 19th century murders in America. It's awesome. Totally check it out.
0: That's where I got some information for. Um- Oh, I think it was the New York one um, with the braid.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The that Island murder. Yeah. yeah. So uh, on this website, they mentioned uh, he told the story of how Struck got into trouble with the police force. And basically, one day he gets called to a disturbance at a New York City hotel. And he arrives too late to prevent the murder that occurs there. Yeah. A uh, rumor starts to circulate on the force that Strzok stayed out of the hotel for fear of his own personal safety. And this eventually led to an inquest. And Struck was fired from the police force basically for being a coward.
0: Gotcha. He was yeah. just like, I'm not going in there. Someone else do it.
1: Yep, exactly. Ugh. Um. And unfortunately, the person was murdered. So. Great. Yep. Uh. So naturally, after his firing and outing as a big coward, Struck becomes depressed. And this he's, was the husband, right? Yeah, the husband. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh. He gets depressed, and he can no longer work. He's not even able to find anywhere because he's kind of like, you know, who wants that lily livered Struck working for them? Basically. Yeah. Uh, This kind of leads him to also become suicidal and just, you know, a, a hot mess. hot hot mess.
0: That's always nice.
1: Yep. So Lydia, meanwhile, is still struggling to support herself and her husband and her now seven kids. Oh, my God. And she contemplates having struck, committed to an asylum. However, she's talking it over with her neighbor one day. And the neighbor mentions how, you know, even if you put him in the asylum, he might not even recover and it might be just a mercy if his mental breakdown ends up resulting in his death. And that conversation sparked an idea. In Miss oh, idea. God, here we go. Mm-hmm. So she takes out a large insurance policy on Struck, As you do. As one does. And then proceeds to purchase some arsenic.
0: And, you know, taking out that large insurance policy never makes you look guilty.
1: Nope, nope, not at all. So shortly afterwards, she spikes Strzok's oatmeal with a thimble full of arsenic. Thimbleful. Now that's a bit of an overkill because it usually thimbleful of arsenic yeah, helps
0: the medicine go down. Well, we will kill a man dead. Like what?
1: <laughs> um, it only takes a couple of grains of arsenic to actually kill a person. Like yeah, it's very potent. It's very stuff. toxic. So she puts a whole thimbleful in his oatmeal. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's just so ridiculous that like oh. he just eats it, and of course he's a. Am- this
0: tastes a little strange a little off but today, I, honey. I don't want to. I don't want to make you mad, so I'll eat it.
1: This tastes as sad as my depression. Right. <laughs> Uh, He becomes immediately ill, like that day, and dies that next morning. Because she mega-dosed him with arsenic.
0: No old lace, though.
1: No old lace. That's another lady from Connecticut, actually. (laughs) Um, Can She she goes on to claim the life insurance, and life continues for the family. Going a little bit better now that they have a little money to ease the financial burden. Struck's no longer around. And this lasts for a few months. Afterwards, Lydia starts to have financial trouble again. And decides that, you know, it's probably in the best interest of the family if they have fewer mouths to feed. Okay. So she begins to poison her three youngest children. And they're six years old, four years old, and nine months. Oh,
0: my God.
1: Yeah, it's pretty horrible. And eventually, all the children do die. And the local doctor that was treating the family concludes that they all died of a form of gastric fever.
0: Great. Yeah. I don't know what gastric fever is but
1: it's one of those 19th century we don't quite know what killed them yeah. in medical terms so
0: gastric sounds like food and then yeah yeah
1: like i guess when you are poisoned with arsenic it does cause like intense indigestion and like just gastrointestinal distress and that's really what kills you yeah um so now lydia is in a slightly better financial situation because her three youngest children are dead her remaining children are all old enough to work for the most part and bring more money into the family. So she, life continues. She's not really suspected of poisoning her husband or her other children. Uh, however, during this time, her oldest son, John, moves out of the house. And a lot of articles I read say that that probably saved him from a gruesome death because he was no longer living with her. He's no longer a financial burden on her. Yeah. Then her other son, George, who was about 14 at the time, he worked as a painter and he brought home some extra money okay. doing that. He became sick with, quote-unquote, painter's colic. And painter's colic is basically lead poisoning. Yeah, that's Because what all the paint back then was... Lead-based. Yep, lead-based. Even wallpaper was, like, poisonous, um, depending on the colors and dyes used. So Lydia is taking care of George. She's sick in bed. And she's like, you know, he's already sick with poisoning. Why I should just, not? just end help it along? Exactly. Oh, no. oh, so God, she doses him with her. arsenic. I know. She, there's not a lot to love I think I
0: like her less than Cordelia. At
1: least Cordelia was one hell of a woman.
0: Yeah, that's true. Lydia's a whole just lot like, of woman.
1: Lydia's just like cutthroat. She's like, oh, you're already dying? I don't want to take care of you. Have some of this soup, kiddo. And she doses George and he eventually dies. Oh, God. So if you're keeping track, that's one dead husband and four dead kids on Lydia's murder scorecard.
0: Okay, she's already, like, somewhat prolific. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: She's already, body count-wise, beat out Cordelia. Yeah. Let's keep that in mind. Well, Cordelia
0: was only one, right?
1: Well, yeah, and that was an act of desperate love.
0: Desperate obsession, I think, by Calvin Klein. Sure.
1: (laughs) I like that scent. I'm a very dark obsession today. (laughs) Next, Lydia sets sights on her 12-year-old daughter, Anne Eliza. Since Ann Eliza had always been sickly, she wasn't really able to find work outside the house.
0: Oh my god, this woman is getting <laughs> on my nerves.
1: <laughs> so, when Ann Elizabeth became sick with fever, Lydia decided to do what Lydia does. I hate her. <laughs> I know you do. <sighs> <laughs> so Lydia mixes in a little bit of arsenic with the medicine for Ann Elizabeth, and that eventually kills the girl. Great. Yep. Yep. And then, unfortunately, that same winter, her oldest daughter also died. But that was actually of legit natural causes. Or
0: so they say.
1: Well, yeah.
0: Better so, check that thimble.
1: No check the thimble. Your thimble's missing, have you? <laughs> shh, 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 sh, sh. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, this is now uh, 1867. Lydia is widowed and effectively childless. She moves to Stratford, Connecticut to take a job n- as a nurse. Which.
0: That's uh, no, of... probably not the best career choice for her.
1: No, no, not at all. Eight months later, she meets a rich, older widower named Dennis Hurlbert. Hurlbert. Hurl. Like Herbig?
0: Herbig, oh yes.
1: Yeah. I think he had someone similarly named as something of the, the Hurl family.
0: I had something, I don't remember what it was, but. I think
1: it was like the one landlady in the Staten Island. Yeah. Silver Lake murder. Any hoodles? Hurlbert is so taken with Lydia's beauty, because, again, she's, you know, a Victorian dreamboat, he proposes marriage. Why are
0: all your Poisoner chicks so hot?
1: I mean, that's kind of, like, the thing. It's like you have, like, Lucretia Borgia, Cordelia (laughs) Botkin, and now Miss Lydia Sherman. Uh, Lydia accepts Hurlbert's proposal and then lives happily ever after, at least for 14 months. All
0: right, so you did the same thing I did with uh, (laughs) Joseph Metheny.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: Turned his life around, never murdered anyone again, at least not until November of that year.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so 14 months after they get married, things take a turn. Now, previously during that 14 months,
0: hurlbert
1: that's such a hard name, Hurlbert. It is, I don't like it. During that time, Hurlbert altered his will.
0: Sorry, listeners, if that's your last name.
1: We <laughs> <laughs> got you. I'll stop butchering it, I swear. Uh, he alters his will, makes Lydia his sole heir, and for her part, Lydia make sure that she dotes on him very publicly to kind of give the community the feeling that she is very much smitten by her much older husband.
0: Oh, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. His dick doesn't work, but I love him all the same.
1: It's the conversation. We could (laughs) talk or not talk for hours.
0: (laughs) I already had a bunch of kids, but I can't... Oh, never mind.
1: Nothing? Never? No. Mm -mm. So eventually... Hurlbert takes ill, and he dies shortly thereafter, making Lydia a super-rich widow as the sole recipient of a $30,000 estate, which is about half a million dollars in today's money. Nice. Yeah, so she kind of makes bank on this marriage.
0: She's doing something right, I guess.
1: Well, she is, because no one suspects any foul play. They have no reason to, because they don't know about her previous life in New York it's with kids. It's too far away. Exactly. Yeah. And she basically kind of moves ahead, and... Meanwhile, eventually, later, you can kind of guess what happens. They do find out that Hurlbert was, surprise! Poisoned! Yep, poisoned with arsenic. So, now, it's 1870, and there are two dead husbands and five dead kids on Lydia's murder scorecard. Very nice. Moving through life, poisoning people left and Right. Lydia, for her part, is still in Connecticut, and she hears about a other seemingly wealthy widower in Derby, Connecticut, named Horatio Sherman, and he is looking for a nurse to take care of his sickly baby son. Lydia accepts the job, and shortly afterwards, Sherman proposes to her. Lydia is quite taken by Sherman. He's much closer to her age. He's a very handsome, very charming guy.
0: Always very nice.
1: And he is that like kind of like, I always think of, uh, was it in The Nanny, Mr. Bank?
0: Oh, i um- I don't know, I barely Mr. watched The Nanny, but I know what you're talking My mom hated, um, Fran Drescher's voice so much <laughs> that, like, The Nanny was outlawed from the house.
1: Mr. Shetfield.
0: That's it, yeah. Yeah. So... Mr. Shetfield.
1: <laughs> Sherman is, like, a Mr. Shetfield. Like, he's this tragically young widow. Like, his wife dies in childbirth. He has this, like, teenage daughter. And Lydia comes into the scene. She's, like, the nurse for the sickly baby son. And she kind of fulfills this void of, like, a missing wife. So Sherman proposed to her, and she's like, heck yeah, you're super cute and kind of charming, so I agree. And I have this inheritance from my previous marriage to my husband who tragically died. He was much, much older than you.
0: I have all this money and a buttload of poison. Let's <laughs> get this on.
1: <laughs> so they get married. Lydia helps Sherman pay off some considerable debt that he actually had that she didn't know about before they got married. And she uses her inheritance from Hurlburt to do it. Unbeknownst to Lydia at the time, though, uh, Horatio Sherman's a raging alcoholic who drank most of his money away, and that's why he was in such bad debt.
0: Oh, that's Mm -hmm. nice. Mm
1: -hmm. And since this is the Victorian era, uh, he starts to drink his way through Lydia's money, too, because now he's her husband and has control of her finances. Oh, great,
0: yes. Women were property.
1: Yeah, and you can imagine how much Lydia enjoyed that. Yes. So she's
0: getting that thimble ready.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well... Yes. She kind of doesn't know what to do because she does genuinely like perhaps love Sherman. Um, but he continues to drink and he kind of escalates. And one night during uh, what I read a couple accounts of like one night he had, was in this drunken rage. And he's ranting about his sickly son. And he said something along the lines of, I wish he would, the baby would die rather than continue to suffer so miserably. Oh,
0: God. Yeah. Here we go.
1: Of course, Lydia's like, baby boy, I can make that happen. So she proceeds to poison the baby. Of course. And the baby's already sickly, so he dies, and no one's any, any and the wiser. Any wiser, yeah. But Lydia thinks to herself, why stop there? So she proceeds to poison... She's an overachiever. <laughs> she is an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> she proceeds to poison Sherman's 14-year-old daughter as well, because, you know, when you're hot, you're hot, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah, she's on a roll. She can't stop now.
1: Exactly. Terrible, terrible person. So, here you have poor Sherman, who is this raging alcoholic. He's lost his wife, both of his children, in the span of a few years, which just makes him dip further and further into the bottle. This then frustrates Lydia, who figured, hey, honey honey boo, I took care of those problems. Why why are you drinking all of our money away? Mm -hmm. And she decides to teach him a lesson. With arsenic. With
0: arsenic. The best kind of lesson there is. Mm
1: -hmm. So... She contested later uh, in her testimony that she only intended to make her husband sick. So she sprinkles a little bit of arsenic into Sherman's favorite brandy. So Sherman, you know, as an alcoholic does, drinks this brandy, and he gets sick. His remedy, well, I'll drink some more. <laughs> brandy's medicinal, right?
0: Oh, God.
1: And he gets sicker. And then he gets sicker, so he drinks more. And eventually, he drinks himself to death.
0: I've never... I mean, I'm not an alcoholic, but... The second I'm sick, I do not want alcohol. Mm-hmm. Unless I have a sore throat, because then it actually kinda helps the sore throat feeling.
1: Maybe like a hot toddy or something. Yeah. But even then it's like maybe like half a shot. A tiny bit and a of alcohol, not a huge mug of tea and honey. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. So let's do a quick check in. So Lydia has now murdered three husbands and seven children. It's quite the scorecard. That's yes. Now, the sudden deaths of Sherman and his children, because remember, he was, despite being an alcoholic, he was a pretty healthy guy. And his daughter wasn't sick at all, just the baby. So it becomes this kind of suspicious thing in Derby. That's when Dr. C.J. Beardsley, who was treating Sherman for his sickness before he died, asked to conduct a post-mortem on Sherman's body. And Lydia, for some reason, agrees to let Dr. Beardsley do this. He discovers evidence of arsenic poisoning and immediately alerts authorities. The bodies of the Sherman children and Dennis Hurlburt are exhumed, and then they also conclude that they were all poisoned with arsenic. Alrighty. Seems like the noose is tightening for her. So, yeah, I mean, she
0: can't get away with it forever, that's for damn sure. If she did, there wouldn't be the story that you're telling.
1: It's true, it's true. (laughs) Uh, She is arrested and put on trial in the spring of 1872. The trial was intensely covered in the press. Um, I think I mentioned earlier it was called, like, the horror of the century, Um, There's a special fascination with the terribleness of her crimes versus her actual appearance. Because, again, she was the ideal Victorian lady. Yeah. She maintained her innocence at trial, asserting that Sherman committed suicide over the depression of his financial troubles and the death of his children and wife the previous years. Uh, The jury was kind of like, yeah, not so much. And convicts her of secondary murder and Sherman's death. And she was sentenced to life in prison. Now it gets kind of interesting, because after her sentencing, Lydia confesses to poisoning not only Sherman's children and Dennis Herbert, she also confesses to poisoning her children with Strzok and Strzok himself. Yeah. And then she has all of her confessions put into a book, which becomes a bestseller incident Oh my
0: god. Okay.
1: She's all about the money. So
0: we've got another, uh, what's her name on our hands? Heavenly Creatures...
1: Oh, well, I feel like it's more akin to, like, like, like a serial killer who goes to jail and then, like, talks about how he killed all these additional people. Oh, that's
0: true, which they always do. Well,
1: yeah, it's a weird, like, ego thing, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I, but I feel like Lydia Sherman's was more like, well, if I have a little bit of money coming in, at least, like, I can, like, put that in my commissary, maybe. Exactly. I, I can buy some toilet
0: paper. Yeah. Hooray.
1: So, then five years into her prison sentence, and she's she's housed at um, a prison in Weatherfield, Connecticut, she pretends to get seriously ill. and having poisoned so many people. Did she people. poison herself
0: with arsenic? To get...
1: So that's what I thought. I like, did some deep research. I'm like, did Lydia like poison herself? Just, just a little bit. To, like No. But she emulated the um, symptoms of somebody who was poisoned. Oh,
0: God. Well, she would know that very well. Right? Right? She's
1: like, life experience has taught me <laughs> that if I just say I have gastric distress, yep. they'll take me to a hospital. And they do. They take her out of the prison to be treated, and she uses this opportunity to run. Great. So she basically fakes being poisoned, and pulls a prison break. Um, I couldn't find any details other than the fact that she pretended to be ill and then then ran away, but eventually she did make her way to Providence, Rhode Island, where she began to work as a housekeeper for, surprise, surprise, a wealthy widower. Yay! Fortunately for this man, who would have been future husband number four, uh, authorities track her down in about a week after she starts the job and send her back to prison. Then Lydia Sherman actually dies in prison shortly afterwards in 1878 of cancer. So that is the uh, crazy, murderous story of Lydia Sherman, a.k.a. the Derby Poisoner, a.k.a. the Poison Fiend.
0: She was definitely a Poison Fiend. I think that one pretty much sums it up, because she just couldn't control herself. She was like, hmm, do I have any problems that I can't solve with arsenic? Mm -hmm. Mm, Not really.
1: I think it's so fascinating, too, because it's... It's one of those things where it's a person who you can clearly see how easy it becomes to take a human life for her. Yeah. Where it almost becomes, like, second nature, where that's, like, her solution for every problem. is like, well, I'll just poison them. Exactly, yeah. I feel like that's, that's very stark contrast to a poisoner like Cordelia Botkin, who, like, just did it the once.
0: She did it once just to, you know,
1: yeah. to, because to, she didn't know, almost like a crab of passion. yeah. Slow crime of passion, but a crime of passion all, all the same. But Lydia Shimmer is definitely much more methodical and more... Yes. Kind of...
0: She's a lot more evil than Cordelia. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of times with, like, crime of passion stuff, you're not going to do it again. Mm-hmm. You did it that one time. You probably felt bad about it afterwards.
1: Like, you made a mistake.
0: Yeah. But someone like this, that's someone who's not going to be rehabilitated and is just going to keep doing what they're doing. hmm
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. she killed how many people? A lot of them children.
1: All in all, it was three husbands and seven children. Which
0: is insane.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people.
0: And all this talk of poisons makes me think of um, The Virgin Suicides. Did you ever see that movie? Yes. Yeah. When there's like the suicide special that's like on TV and mm-hmm. this girl's talking and she's like, so I figured I could bake a pie with rat poison and no one would notice and I could eat it. My grandmother, she really loved sweets. <laughs> she had three pieces. Oh. <laughs> That's exactly what it reminds me of.
1: Oh, so dark. So dark. Well, uh, for today's story, I did find some pretty cool resources. Uh, Wikipedia is always the great jumping off point. Yes. Uh, encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, Ooh. Yes, gotta love that. Gotta love this. Encyclopedia to beat all others. Make Sorry, a Wikipedia. Sorry, Wikipedia. Sorry, Wikipedia. I mentioned earlier before, our, uh, there's a great article on Murder by Gaslight called The Poison Fiend. There was also a ballad apparently written about Lydia Sherman.
0: What?
1: Yes. It was also on Murder by Gaslight. He has a whole section of the website that's devoted to like basically murder ballads or crime ballads. Nice. And okay. that's actually how I came across his other article about Lydia Sherman. It was like, see more.
0: See, I'm definitely going to need to look more on that site because I loved using that as a resource for my New York true crime stories. So
1: yeah, it's a really well put together site. I really, really like that site. Also, I utilized an article from the new England historical society.com. And there was a great article on Connecticut history.org about Lydia Sherman. And then finally I a nice article entitled Lydia Sherman, the Derby Poisoner, from Lineup.com. Very nice. Thanks. Good try. So, Eden, time for a short pit stop and then... Are you going to wow me with a paranormal story?
0: I might. I don't know. I just, don't think I have one. Now I definitely have one. Just a legend. It took me long enough to do research on it, so... <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, gang. Well, we will be back after a short break. Um, till then, enjoy your road snacks. Road snacks.
0: We are back from our nice little break. Mm
1: -hmm. Got some good road snacks.
0: And I found out something pretty cool. Oh, yeah? We have one Norwegian listener. Oh, really? And they've been listening for a little bit. And they're still on this month because Podbean changes it every month with like every 30 days. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like sort of refreshes. And other than the United States listeners, the Norwegian one's the only out of the country one that we... Still have at the moment. Wow,
1: well, that's exciting.
0: So, thank you. And um, I was just going to learn how to say hello in Norwegian, but then it's just hello. Hello. And I think I'm sensing a theme because I know Swedish, and in Swedish, it's just hey. Hey. So it's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> we get it.
1: I want to go to both those places. I do too. They seem beautiful.
0: I really don't know any Norwegian at all. I only know how to curse in Finnish. I know a good amount of Swedish. Don't know any Icelandic.
1: I only know the Swedish I've learned from IKEA.
0: From Ikea. <laughs> from trying to put your stuff together.
1: Yep, yep. Everything's named after like weird, like tree stump.
0: See, I could actually, you know, probably help you with that. <laughs> I can read the directions for you.
1: Eden, I don't understand this pictogram. What is it telling me? Yeah, that's it says no screwdrivers. It says
0: no screwdrivers.
1: <laughs> only Allen wrenches.
0: Use the thing that came with it. <laughs> That no one wants to use.
1: Have you ever had the experience of like putting together IKEA furniture and you're like, I got this. And like you feel very empowered and you start putting it together. And
0: then it falls apart?
1: Well, no. That happens too. But for me, it's always like I get like two thirds of the way done and I have to put the last like, you know, piece in it. It's usually the piece that like stabilizes the legs or whatever. And that's when I realize something's on backwards.
0: Yes. Or like you use this part when it (laughs) was supposed to be that part and you have to take everything apart and redo it. Oh, that's annoying good times. I just time. I think of Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 when they had their like fake Ikea which was like some Hungarian store <laughs> and the guy's like I guess I have to buy a Hungarian to English dictionary now. So he t- he like uses Siri and he's like Hungarian dictionary store and it's like <laughs> I found several gay bars fairly close to you with a similar name. <laughs> All right, now that we've had fun, let's get to the spooky.
1: (laughs) All right, I'm ready. I've had my laughs. I'm ready to be a little terrified.
0: Awesome. So like I said, it's an urban legend this week. It takes place in Cornwall, Connecticut. And again, I will say, not England. So Cornwall, Connecticut, not England. It's a town in Litchfield County, which is a county in the northwest corner of the state. It's a rather small town, housing around 1,420 people. And there is no public transportation there, so you're SOL if you don't have a car. Mm. I mean, I'm assuming they, of course, have, like, Uber or Lyft, but...
1: Hopefully. Hopefully. It's a t- tiny town.
0: But, yeah, they don't have any sort of public transit at all. Um, they There really isn't much about the town that I could find, but it does have a really cool covered bridge. And they still have a video rental store, according to Wikipedia. And it said it was updated back in April, so oh. still this year. Luckily for its residents, if they do want to do something fun, they're close enough to both New York and also Bristol, Connecticut. Again, not England. So they can find plenty of things to do. My story takes place in a small village inside this town, which now lays abandoned. This is the tale of Dudley Town. So I kept saying not England, but guess what we're taking a pit stop at? England. England. <laughs> Better activate those built-in flotation devices on the car, because we're going to visit everyone's favorite, many times betrothed monarch, King Henry VIII.
1: (laughs) Sorry, I just wish, I'm King Henry VIII. I am,
0: I am. (laughs) (laughs) So our wacky tale begins with a man named Edmund Dudley, who was King Henry VII's financial agent and Speaker of the House of Commons, and Lord President of the King's Council. So he was like a really important man. Sounds like he was almost
1: like a hand of the king.
0: Kind of like, yeah. Little Game of Thrones going on. He was also grandfather to Robert Dudley, who was the first Earl of Leicester.
1: Okay. I have heard of him.
0: And I don't know what's up with the spellings of certain things in England, but yes, Leicester is spelled L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R.
1: Leicester? Yeah. Okay. It's Leicester. Sure.
0: All right. He made a lot of money and had estates in Sussex, Dorset, and Lincolnshire. Okay. Now, we're just going to skip ahead to 1509 when King Henry VII died and King Henry VIII rose to power. With the change in the monarchy, Edmund Dudley was jailed in the Tower of London, which was not at all uncommon for the time. Whenever the crown changed hands, or heads as the case may be, the loyalists of the previous ruler were normally jailed as treasonous bastards.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense, though, because wasn't, like, Henry VII, the guy who sort of came out the winner in, like, the War of the Roses?
0: I think there was something. It's been a long time since I've done world history.
1: I I, I tend to go down uh, Wikipedia rabbit holes when I see somebody. I'm like, oh, they're a lord of this earldom. Like, that sounds familiar. Click, click, click. Next thing I know.
0: War of the Roses. War of the Roses. Yep. So his exact charge was constructive treason, which is a broadened scope of what is normally considered a treasonous act, and basically means that he had thoughts of wanting the king dead. No actions, just thoughts.
1: Wow, that's like intense.
0: Yeah, and how do you even prove that? They're just like, you were thinking about it. (laughs) Like my mom used to be. And like I do to my cat now. And like, (laughs) you were thinking about jumping on that table, weren't you? So, during his time in his tower cell, he wrote a thing called The Tree of the Commonwealth, which was... A treaties being like, you know, hey, King Henry VIII, I am in full support of your absolute monarchy. Go you. It's possible that uh, it never made it to King Henry VIII, though. Uh, he did conceive a plan to escape the Tower of London at one point, but gave up on the idea when he thought that he'd be pardoned. Okay. This didn't happen, however, and he was executed via beheading on August 17th of 1510. Some people say it was King Henry VII that had Edmund sentenced to death. But poring over anything historical that I could find, it says it was King Henry the Eighth. So that's the known fact.
1: Oh, that makes a little bit more sense, I think, too.
0: Yeah, exactly. I can't help but see him with like, you know, a turkey leg whenever I think of King Henry the Eighth. <laughs> it's just, yeah, always that damn turkey leg.
1: But this is like hot, you know, Tudors Jonathan Reese Myers. Oh yes. This is like when he was like spelt before all those Well choirs. who knows how
0: spelt he actually ever was, but <laughs> you know, I prefer to think of him as Jonathan Reese Myers than the guy we see in portraits. So, oh, in fact, I wrote in my notes, I'd rather think of him as Jonathan Rhys-Meyers, but no, not historically <laughs> accurate.
1: Side note, when, when I was in Ireland for my honeymoon, we went to this cathedral called Christchurch Cathedral, and it was like the big um, Protestant cathedral in mm-hmm. the city. And they used it pretty extensively, the catacombs at least, underneath the cathedral to film certain scenes of the Tudors. Oh. Yeah, it's cool. There's like a little display of like some of the costumes, like these amazing like taffeta gowns. And then there's this portrait of King Henry VIII. But it's actually Jonathan Reese Myers. Oh, nice. As Henry Eighth, and it was one of the set pieces. So Did
0: he have a turkey leg?
1: No. Oh. But he had the huge collar and the rough and the cod piece, and I'm like, oh, I don't yeah. think that's historically accurate there.
0: Well, let me tell you a little something about cod pieces. Please do. Um, from what I learned in English 2 in college,
1: mm-hmm.
0: cod pieces were basically made to be like, guess what? I've got a bigger dick than you. Mm-hmm. Then, The people that they said that to went back and made ones that were shaped like vaginas instead. What? And put them on and basically saying, you guys are a bunch of pussies. And then the cod pieces kept getting bigger and bigger for a while until it was just insane.
1: It's like the most awkward dinner party ever. (laughs) Right?
0: Yeah. So that's what English 2 taught me. That's the one thing I remember from it (laughs) was cod pieces and corsets. Corsets only came in like two sizes when they were first made. It was like a... I want to say, like, 12-inch or 16-inch waist. Pick a choose, ladies. Yeah. How far crammed into your body do you want your organs to be?
1: You don't need that liver.
0: Exactly. So, back to the story. We're going to fast forward a few decades to uh, his son, John Dudley, and his son, Guilford Dudley. So, after the death of King Henry VIII, he was succeeded by King Edward VI, his son with Jane Seymour, not the actress... (laughs) the I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? So John Dudley, who was the first Earl of Warwick, was also one of Edward's counselors, and John was a big old schemer. He plotted to seize power for himself by having his son, Guilford, marry Lady Jane Grey, who was Edward's successor, and also the great-granddaughter of King Henry Seventh. This was kind of a blow to the others in line ahead of her, But Edward put this in his will because Lady Jane was Protestant like him, and he wanted to keep England that way. Because whenever you changed monarchies, it was you were just whatever the king or queen was.
1: Yeah. So, and before Lady Jane, it would have been, like, Mary.
0: Mary and Elizabeth. And, yeah. And Mary
1: was Catholic, and then Elizabeth was Protestant, but she was also kind of, like, Yeah. Quasi-illegitimate, but, because she was Anne Boleyn's daughter. That's true. Yeah. All right. All right. Going with Lady Jane.
0: All right. After the death of King Edward, who died of consumption, also known as tuberculosis, Lady Jane Grey was basically told, Guess what? You're the queen of three countries now. Enjoy!
1: Hooray!
0: She supposedly protested this a little bit, but ultimately gave in and was kept securely in the Tower of London, which was common practice at the time for the safety of the successor.
1: Okay.
0: Well... This would be where Jane spent the entirety of her reign, which lasted only nine days, giving her the nickname of the Nine Days Queen. Well, if you count her reign as directly after Edward's death, it was a few days longer, but well, for the sake of the story, we'll say nine days. Meanwhile, John Dudley had his work cut out for him because Mary Tudor, daughter of King Henry VIII by Catherine of Aragon, uh, had some loyal followers. Let's just say that he didn't do a good job of swaying the people because the Privy Council sided with Mary for her claim to the throne and Jane was taken to the gentleman's jailer's apartments in the Tower of London whilst her husband, Guilford, was taken to the Beauchamp Towers. I say it like Beauchamp, but uh, English people normally say Beecham. Oh. But, I don't know, and New England definitely says Beecham.
1: That's weird because I've, I've seen the last name Beecham and... I never... That makes sense, though. It's like yeah, Beauchamp's, it's, but it's like a inheritance. Because it's
0: B-E-A-U-C-H-A-M-P. So I think French, and I would go mm-hmm. Beauchamp. But a lot of Beecham. people say Beecham. But the English, I think, pronounce French words wrong on purpose. Because you know how, like, let's say you go into McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Filet of fish. They do not say filet. They say fillet. Oh, fillet of fish. Mm-hmm. So I think they do it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot happened that I'm not going to go into, and there may have been some sort of coup, uh, but John, Guilford, and Jane were all charged with high treason and sentenced to death by beheading. Now that you've had your British history lesson, let's talk about what the legends have to say. The story goes that execution wasn't enough for the king, and Henry or possibly someone else decided to curse the deadly family for, I guess, all eternity? I don't know. <laughs> Regardless of how long this curse was supposed to last, it followed the Dudley family into the New World when they decided to settle in a small section of woods in Cornwall, which would later become known as Dudley Town.
1: So they basically cursed the Dudley family because they tried to steal the throne. Correct. Okay.
0: This town was settled somewhere in the mid-1740s by Thomas Griffiths and Gideon Dudley, and also later by Gideon's brothers, Barzillai and Abiel. Wow. Yes, I know. Don't ask me where they're getting those names from. I'm assuming Abiel is a biblical name, just because it sounds like one, but Barziliae, I don't know. Uh, So, yeah, horrible names. Anyway, at its most populous, it housed 26 families, and these were all people who knew or were related to the founders. I'm going to point out here that it's possible the Dudleys of the New World and the English Dudley family might not even be related, but according to the legend, they are at least. The Dudley family decided to start a farm on the land, but not much would grow, as there wasn't really a good source of water anywhere nearby. Okay. Most of the people who settled in the small village were miners and not farmers anyway, so, you know, but you still need crops. The town was actually so small that it didn't have anything in it but bad farms <laughs> and people. No shops, no schools, nothing. No boats, no lights, no motor cars, not a single luxury... There's no phone? Whatever. I don't know. I don't remember. Dudley Town. But yeah, anyway, so Dudley's Isle. <laughs> um, the first sign of the curse of the Dudley family in the New World was the crop failure. But like I said, that could easily be explained away by the fact that the area was simply not suited for farming at all. The next item on our list of curse side effects, if you will, is what happened to Abiel Dudley in 1759. He ends up losing all his money since the farm is failing and such. He loses his house and just one day goes insane and is unable to care for himself. So the rest of the village has to start taking care of him. Mm. This is when a man named Nathaniel Carter decides to be like, Look, buddy, I know times are tough, so I'm just going to buy your house. The Carter family didn't stay long, though, because in 1763, they just end up moving to New York. I didn't find a reason why, but they're just like, let's just get the fuck out of here and go to New York. Also in the same year... They're making their way through Delaware. Don't ask me why, because I don't know. Let me just tell my story. It doesn't have to make sense. It's a legend. And they get stuck in the middle of Native American lands. At this point, the family consists of Nathaniel, his wife, and his four children. Well, this is not a happy story, because Nathaniel, his wife, and their baby are all killed, while the three other children were abducted and taken to Canada.
1: By the by the Native Americans?
0: Yes. Again, don't ask. Okay, I won't. From the same source, I heard that two of the children were ransomed while the other child just kind of stayed with his captors and returned to the U.S. years later and became a Supreme Court justice? I really don't know.
1: That's quite the tale. I would it's, watch that movie.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird. And I don't know if he had, like, Stockholm Syndrome. like. Uh,
1: well, I mean, the way that the, the Native Americans took captives was way different than... Yeah. They weren't like a prisoner of war. They were kind of fostered almost. In that That's yeah, like,
0: kind of true, Yeah. So it's not going to be like, uh, what's her name? William Randolph Hearst. Um, oh, Pat, Patty
1: Hearst. Patty
0: Hearst, thank mm-hmm. you, yes. And she's just like, my name's whatever it was, like Janet or something <laughs> then afterwards. She's just like, okay, let's rob stuff. Now I'm an actress. Ta-da! Um, okay. I hear she's a lovely woman. Yeah, I hear she's nice. I've heard good things. And wait, was that her in Serial um, Mom? hmm Yes. And she's like, fashion has changed! Yes! So anyway, last one suddenly stayed in Canada and became a Supreme Court justice once he returned to the U.S. I don't know. It's all batshit. Just go with it. Okay. Meanwhile, back on the farm. Oh, and we're jumping ahead to 1792 now, by the way. Nathaniel's brother, Otto, and a bunch of other townsfolk are wiped out by this terrible cholera plague. Hmm. This is starting to sound biblical right now. Yeah,
1: get the hell out of Dudleytown.
0: It's like mini revelations or something because... We already had famine from the crops not growing and no one having anything to eat. Then we had war, kind of, sort of, with the Carter family's demise. Now we have pestilence with this cholera outbreak, which results to our final horseman, death. After this, there was another death of a close friend of Abiel's who fell to his death while trying to build a barn. And some say he may have been pushed by otherworldly forces or murdered. Ugh. Yeah, so we don't know exactly what happened there. But he fell to his death when trying to, like, raise a barn. In 1804, there was a general who served in the Revolutionary War under Washington by the name of Herman Swift, who came to Dudleytown with his wife, Sarah. So the two were just hanging out, minding their own business one night, when right on their front porch, Sarah gets struck by lightning and dies. What? Yep.
1: That's so random.
0: Yep. After this, her husband goes insane, and now there's, like, two people that have been driven crazy in this town. I think any rational person would just get the hell out of Dodge at this point or even, you know, before with the fact that there's basically no food or water here. Why are you even staying?
1: Yeah, if you can get out, do it.
0: So there's also rumors around the town that the woods were home to some sort of otherworldly creatures who only came out at night.
1: I don't like that at all.
0: Nope, it just kind of makes me think of a village a little bit. (sighs) Nope. Yeah. That wouldn't have been a bad movie if
1: I love that movie, actually.
0: I like it, but then I think it's kind of dumb at the same time. It had a really great premise. Like, I really like
1: the premise. Have you watched it recently, though?
0: No. I it's need to watch the, it again. It holds up. Okay.
1: It holds up. Even once you know the twist. Yeah. It kind of, like, the whole time you're watching it, it's 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 a very different experience.
0: Oh, M. Night Shyamalan, a ding-dong. <laughs> oh. I told you I almost met him once, right? No. Actually, from that exact movie. Really? Because he films everything locally here.
1: Yeah, he films everything in Pennsylvania. Yeah.
0: So when I was in high school, I was doing a project on movie making because I thought that's what I wanted to do with my life for a while. My mom ended up um, meeting Ann, I can't think of her name, Ann Roth, big costume designer.
1: Okay.
0: I think she did like Titanic and stuff and she did like a bunch of movies and has won a ton of awards. She was just like, well, he's just going to have to come on set with uh, me and M. Night Shyamalan one day.
1: That's so cool.
0: Uh, So I was going to go to the set of The Village. And be able to, you know, do all that. But then my mom's boss was like, if you do that, you're fired.
1: (gasps) No doubt for you. Yeah. That's a bummer.
0: So that kind of sucked, but whatever. So there have also been a few suicides in Dudleytown, the most famous of which was a woman named Mary Cheney, who was said to have committed suicide while visiting, I guess, with her husband, New York Tribune editor Horace Greeley.
1: I know that name.
0: Yep. By 1901, no one was really left in Dudleytown other than John Patrick Brophy and his wife, who were sheep herders. Well, the curse wasn't done feeding off this town and said, you're the last family here, I'm getting my money's worth, bitches. Guess what? <laughs> John's wife ended up dying from tuberculosis, and after this, their two children just wandered off into the woods, never to be seen or heard from again. They just disappeared. What?
1: Like Hansel and Gretel style?
0: Yep, that's what I'm imagining, breadcrumbs and all. Ugh. <sighs> So, not done yet, though. After this, John's house burns down, and he just up and disappears as well.
1: This poor family. I know.
0: Two years later, a doctor named William Clark and his wife Harriet come to Cornwall and decide they just love the town, but especially Dudley Town, where no one lives at this point. So he buys some land and builds a cabin where they end up spending a lot of time. They do this for many years, until around 1918 or so, when Dr. Clark goes away on business, leaving Harriet alone. He comes back to the cabin three days later, and his wife has gone insane and tells him these creatures were coming out of the woods at night.
1: The creatures again? The
0: creatures again. Ugh. He says, okay, you know, let's just get the hell out of here, and they return to New York from whence they came, and Harriet ends up committing suicide in their apartment.
1: Even after they left, she was so freaked out by these... That
0: she killed herself, yeah. that's terrible. So it was really awful. Dr. Clark remarried after this and began bringing his new wife and friends to the cabin because once wasn't enough, apparently, and they decided to form a group called the Dark Entry Forest Association. What? Yeah, I don't know.
1: People are so weird.
0: I really don't know why you would ever go back there. But they made something called Dark Entry Forest Association in 1924, which kind of just owns the land now. And was just, uh, you know, turning it into, like, a nature preserve and trying to reforest the area after it had been cultivated into really shitty farmland all those years ago.
1: Mm, Okay. I can't begrudge them for that. But so weird. Yeah. Or it could have been one of those things where it's like, there's some kind of crazy business in these woods. There might be creatures. might be cursed land. We're just going to make it into a preserve. That way, nobody else will be hurt.
0: Exactly. And I'm going to be very clear about this next part, listeners. Do not go to Dudley Town. Don't do it. Just stop thinking about it because I will know, okay? (laughs) Now, now that I have gotten that out of the way, I can tell you why. This place is private property and you will get arrested if you don't just end up getting lost in the woods first. There's been multiple occurrences of people getting lost and or arrested here and the main reason no one is allowed in is because people kept vandalizing the village and also just getting lost. Now that I very explicitly told you not to go there, I can tell you all the fun things you can now miss out on. (laughs) People who have been there in more recent years say that they hear strange noises in the woods, feel like they're being watched, have been pushed, scratched, and they just feel overwhelmingly, like they feel like an overwhelming sense of dread. And they've also seen strange unexplained lights at night.
1: It really is like the village. It is
0: like the village. Uh, People there have gotten a lot of orbs and pictures as well. There have also been reports of unusual weirdos going there to perform satanic rituals. Uh, Who knows if that's true or not. But, you know, that's just something they all say.
1: I feel like Satanism, like, okay, Satanism is to bland food as salt is to, wait, I messed that up. What I'm trying to say is Satanists (laughs) are like that dash of spice that you add to make a story more delicious. Pretty much. Like when you have a... a, They're
0: the MSG. Yes,
1: they are the MSG to your Chinese food of, of... Urban legends.
0: That's pretty accurate. I think these people are probably just shitty teenagers with nothing better to do that were just wearing black and probably going to, like, listen to Metallica or something. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. We've all been there. There are also no buildings left, and the trees the Dark Entry Forest Association planted have kind of taken over everything. So now, while our good friend Ed Warren believes the story of the curse, there are a few reasons not to believe the tale of the curse. Although it's, in my opinion and just what I've experienced, that most stories like this do have some truth to them, I don't necessarily believe all of it either. Okay. Like I mentioned early on, there's no established connection between the Dudleys of England and the Connecticut Dudleys, so that part probably didn't happen, but that doesn't mean there couldn't still be a curse, not just one related to King Henry VIII and his turkey leg. (laughs) The suicide of Mary Cheney is another thing people cite as not being true, Said by a lot of detractors that she actually died of lung cancer and never once set foot in the village of Dudleytown. When her husband was asked about it, he apparently said something like, yeah, we've never even been there. So I really don't understand how they got mixed up in the legend if they were never there unless they really were and didn't want to admit it maybe, but that's just weird that it's like, yeah, we haven't even been there. I don't know why my name's being dragged (laughs) into this. Maybe they just wanted to put a famous name on it, you know? Could be. I would have gone with Jane Mansfield instead classic another story is that the soil has high amounts of lead and the people of the town suffered from lead poisoning and one of the symptoms was neurological changes which could account for some of its residents going insane
1: yeah i mean that kind of makes sense especially with like the creatures in the, the woods coming out it kind of reminds me of like those those cases of like mass hysteria that are linked to like air gap poisoning and stuff yeah. like that I can, I can,
0: okay. it's possible
1: I'll flex yeah. on that one.
0: So, regardless of whether the town was cursed or not, there's still a lot of unexplained things that happened there and huge body trail. Mm-hmm. I think something probably did happen here, but maybe just not to the extent the stories make it out to be. Either way, Dudley Town and the legends surrounding it are truly larger than life and incredibly interesting. I just wish I could visit myself.
1: I don't. Really? That's right. You don't
0: want to stay in haunted hotels. You don't want to do anything fun ever. You never take me anywhere nice.
1: Listen, if there's a beach involved, I will think about it. But this is the middle of the woods. You get ticks in the woods. You get lost in the woods. I ain't got no breadcrumbs. I ain't got no pebbles. I ain't got no compass.
0: We'll go to Aldi. We'll get them for cheap. It's fine. (sighs)
1: Fine. We'll just get cinnamon raisin bread. No one likes that.
0: Ugh. (laughs) <laughs> uh, unless oh wait no not with the raisins but regular old cinnamon bread i like for french toast but
1: well that's because it takes out a step for you but exactly. cinnamon raisin bread
0: but psh. no one likes raisins i'm like, sure there's like, someone
1: that's like the holiday bamboozles i call it when you like go to a holiday party and there's like cookies out and you're like "Ooh, chocolate chip and you take a bite oh, and you're like oh no raisin. raisin you asshole
0: <laughs> see i like the oatmeal taste oh me too I, like... I just don't want the raisins
1: yeah annoyingly enough if it's like currants or like raisins I'm like, "Ooh, this is delicious." Mm-hmm. But mm-mm. but
0: not mm-mm. raisins. Uh, nope. Especially those white raisins.
1: AKA the great California lie.
0: Exactly. They are awful.
1: Okay.
0: What do you think of Town, though? What do you think happened? Uh, I feel like Do you think it's a lie like white raisins?
1: <laughs> yes. No, <laughs> I I kind of think it's sort of one of those weird stories about failed settlements and like I think <sighs> I think about this a lot. Honestly, like, people who came to America to settle it, I don't think a lot of them really knew what they were getting into. True. And, like, we are very fortunate historically, if you think about, like, Massachusetts Bay Colony, like, Plymouth, um, even Jamestown, but even Jamestown failed once.
0: Exactly, yeah. And it's,
1: like, I I think a lot of colonies failed... But more of them succeeded in the U.S. So we don't really think of that as like, oh, that's all you do. You get in the boat from England, you come across, you set up your farm, and you're good to go. And next thing you know, you're, you know,
0: exactly. in but America. It's not all colors of the wind, people. There's <laughs> a lot more to it.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's it's a probably just an unfortunately poorly planned community that just... Didn't work that, out. Yeah, just and, it, and it's so close to an other community that it did work out and... People just are like, oh, it's cursed. Because that's the easiest explanation. See, but it
0: sounds a little weird when you think of how many people died. And, like, the one that really gets me is the the one that was just randomly struck by lightning on her porch. <laughs> like
1: that is, kind And of, then the
0: house burns down. And then yeah. the kids go. Wait, if that was the same one. I don't know. I might be missing them up now.
1: I, it, you know what that reminds me of, though? Like, where uh, the, the guy who's, like, wife goes crazy and the house burns down. And then the kids disappear. That reminds me of that movie The Witch oh it's very good oh
0: wait what the double v's the vavitch
1: the vavitch maybe what's well, the, the black philip
0: the the goat yes yes
1: where it's like i liked, like that yeah that was a good movie i
0: liked it and didn't like it at the same time i thought it was kind of boring because it was very slow yes but it was very atmospheric i loved that about it the ending pissed me off because i'm just like what so she's just gonna what don't spoil it okay fine they lived happily ever after. The end.
1: With pet goats. With a pet the goat
0: who was definitely not...
1: Definitely not Satan. Satan
0: at all. Joe and I called it the Vavitch when it came out. The Vavitch. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's it was stylized, like, spelling was yeah. VV, So it was the Vavitch. My sources for this week include, as always, our star player, Wikipedia, WebMD, so I could look up symptoms of lead poisoning, uh, two videos on YouTube, one titled Dudley Town. Village of the Damned, and the other was called The Mystery of Dudleytown: Town Between Monsters and Men. Then also I used uh, Britannica.com, which, you know, I guess we're the both big, using Encyclopedia Britannica this week. The big week. guns. Roadtrippers.com and AncientPages.com. Those oh. pages were so brittle, they almost broke apart in my hand.
1: <laughs> Strong wind, it's all gone. Exactly. I like that story. Um, it, it kind of inspires a lot of it does make me think a lot of, of other, like, not urban legends, but, like, <sighs> movies and things I've seen. I think there's, like, this, this like, very archetypal human story about, like, just yeah. a cursed village. Like, Village of the Damned, kind of, you know, just like, don't go there. It's, you know, like the village. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Cool.
0: Cool. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. That was the first time I ever saw her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was yeah. in that. And then oh, she she... Oh, that's
1: right. She was, like, the blind girl. Yep. Yeah.
0: And then she played a real <gasps> bitch in The Help the next time I saw her. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was in that movie that I never saw but hated the commercials for, Lady in the Water.
1: Oh, God. That Manderly. Manderly was a good, weird movie.
0: Manderly, like the house from uh, yes. Rebecca? Yes. Oh, nice.
1: Except this one's a plantation. It's very... Ooh, yeah. I'll
0: have to watch that then.
1: Eh, when you have a day. Yeah. I mean, it's not, like, top of the list. It's okay. Like, it's what I like to call a Saturday afternoon movie. Gotcha. So. But anyway. It's no witch board. It's no witch Board <laughs> All right. Uh, If you guys like what you heard, please rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher. It's super helpful. It gets our little independent show out there. Yeah, it definitely
0: raises our visibility. There we go. Our village-ability. Our (laughs) village-ability.
1: Yeah, it does raise our visibility, which is awesome. Also, feel free to share with your friends if you like our podcast. You can refer them to our website, which is roadside dot dot com
0: you can also email us with your own stories pictures of your pets just to say hi any feedback whatever you want yeah, we absolutely. are really looking forward to talking to you so please email us at roadside at gmail yeah
1: i feel like i want to like after stories like this about like poisoning and creepy village things cute animals they help they do help
0: they really help you hear that mega network if you're still listening to this podcast That's right. I'm coming for your dog. I've told you this on several occasions now. (laughs) That dog will be mine.
1: Uh, I think we have a Twitter.
0: We do have a Twitter, at Roadside Horror.
1: Which we, you know, tweet every once in a...
0: Every once in a blue moon because it's, like, weird. (laughs) So Twitter is annoying, but I will use it if you guys want me to. We also have Facebook and Instagram, at Roadside Horror Show.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We like to thank Yox Rock's Designs for our cool logo and E Massey for our wonderful theme and music.
0: Exactly. And I think there's something else we're supposed to say, but I don't remember. Did we get all of it? I hope so. Okay. If not. If we didn't listen to a previous episode, we'll probably have said it all there.
1: Exactly. In the meantime, we'll be back with you guys next week.
0: Next week. When we new... go to Rhode Island.
1: It's either a road nor an island. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, roosters creep on, creepin' on. Creep
0: on, creeping on. Snacks.